the ending of our second full day and night together on this retreat. We're about halfway through in the heart of the retreat. I encourage everyone to stay with the process. Retreat is a container, a limitation, a sacred boundary. There's a secret to the sacred boundary. which is at the heart of the true meaning of religion or yoga or contemplation gets forgotten. Religions from a, a root religere, to bind. Yoga also means to yoke. Contemplate has it has within it the template, the temple. These are all about boundaries. So I'm told, uh, uh, certainly we, in ancient days, you could enter the sacred space, walk across the line into the sacred place, the place designated for spiritual seeker. We might go with all sorts of excitement, aspiration, I am on the path. See the brilliance of the dawn, some dewdrops sparkling. Then as the time goes on, getting hot, getting achy, restless. If one doesn't bind oneself, stay with the boundary. Yoke oneself, stay with that commitment, stay within the temple, then that uh, restlessness or that, well, I must be in the wrong spot, nothing's happening here. Then one gets moved by that. Going to the real sacred mountain over there. finding the proper teacher. The real method. Not that these are are bad things, but samsara is about, that endless wandering is about always getting bounced around by wanting and not wanting. Lunging ahead over there, pushing things away that shouldn't be here. concretizing the notion that uh, the sacred space isn't here. It's always somewhere else. But when we stay with the, the ancient 
secret of binding yourself to some form like a, a silence, a sitting posture, a walking period, a four-day retreat, is that when one hangs in there, reflectively, alertly, patiently, then that welling up of the excitement that disperses, we realize it's there and then it's empty, it's gone. In the restlessness and the discouragement and, oh my gosh, I'm probably... Maybe it used to be sacred, but you know that's for the previous age. I mean, isn't there something? Are there any astrologers around? Isn't there something about a shifting of the ages? Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll, if we're hanging there, we'll notice that state too: shifts and changes. If one skillfully uses a binding, a commitment to a form, a practice a template, one will have the opportunity to recognize the true ephemeral, insubstantial. Empty. Nature of phenomenon. That it seems so solid when we're in the middle and how, how many states have we been in today and yesterday that were real. I mean, really real, when I can't take another second. (laughs) And it is real, but also, you know, in five minutes or something else, when we've walked out of the room and see the hills, and where'd it go? It's a powerful, liberating insight if we have the opportunity to be with something that's so real, that's so screaming, that's blazing away, burning away, killing me. We have the chance to hear that whimpering, listen in to those sounds and noticing them dissolve and fade. We have the chance to see the state turn rather than being turned by the state. When we're turned by the state, then something comes and we get hijacked. We get swept away. So the secret of a binding and a yoking is, is not that we dogmatically say my form is the best. It's a conventional means, a structure that helps us be liberated from the true nature of a template, a structure, a form. For example, it's not that talking is evil and silence is Buddhists worship silence. Silence. That person's talking. (laughs) Bad. But we can use the silence, bind ourselves that, to get perspective on, liberated from, our tendency to get so caught up compulsively in our thoughts. We have the chance to see things come and go. So if we hang in there, especially at the heart of of this retreat, when the pressure builds up and and sometimes we feel like we're dying, if we can, I mean, obviously, you need to shift postures, shift postures. We've got to be compassionate here. 
Well, if the Buddha vowed not to move until he was enlightened, so can I. Well, let the rivers dry up. Let the, what the heck, let the fires burn. <laughs> if you've got a lot of power behind you, then that, that's great. But if you're like me, you know, 16 and a half minutes later, you know. <laughs> oh, God. So as our teacher would say, don't pretend you have a 10-wheeler truck when you have a wheelbarrow. <laughs> but let's not make fun of wheelbarrows. I mean, we can, in our learning to commit to this limitation of a silence, a walking period, a posture for a while, we get perspective on that compulsive being moved by every feeling, every thought, and we start to get the sense of how things well up and change. And there's a little liberation happening being liberated from our conditioned tendencies, from our views. I've had the feeling that there's a lot of good work being done. I, I praise us all for that. It's, it's, it's exhausting, you know. Go, go to Spirit just sit on your butt. World's burning with them, sitting on their butts. <laughs> not so easy to sit on your butt. <laughs> As Ajahn Chah would say, to, to be still and to be with the silences can be like walking into a storm because we then, as our dear friend and teacher Ajahn Sajita would say, we then quickly become eyeball to eyeball with our tendencies, with our karma. And it's pushing us every which way crucifying us, scorching us, freezing us. But the extent to which we're patient and stay with this principle of taking refuge in in awareness, we then have the opportunity to see, to allow the nature of things to reveal themselves. We have been working these first few days emphasizing simplicity, cultivating primary relationship. Oh, no, 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 come on. I want to be at peace with all beings. and That's a great idea, but, you know, we, 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 we can't be with ourselves for five minutes. Or we, get, we want to be at peace with everyone, but then we get really irritated with our neighbor. Primary relationship is we're learning how to relate to body, to feeling, to breathing. The essence of relationship is the awareness in contact. The essence of sustained relationship is learning to focus the mind and stay connected. Not just if relationship is only yang, and we just point the attention then have you ever had someone say, how are you? And then you're, you're getting ready to answer, but then they're going on and on and on and on and on. And you feel like a, a butterfly that's been pinned to a board. <laughs> there's definitely contact there, but there's the yang part. Of but then the, Tanisha was talking about vichara, the, the receptive aspect. So yes, we bring the attention 
But then if there's an emptying and receiving, we notice someone's color. And if their eyes are bulging out and they're wanting to have a little space, we'll pick that up. Or if they're tired, bringing the attention, then receiving. For relationship connection to happen, there's that yang, that bringing the attention, and then there's the feeling out, the the receptive, then there's a dance. Then there's the revelation of what we're in contact with in the sense of connection, bonding. We've been doing that with our breath and, and the body and what, what are called samatha practices, calming practices, steadying practices. And to do that, to a certain extent, withdrawing from trying to endlessly figure out things, which are, might be very important and are important. There are lots of things that are important. But sometimes when we're just trying to figure, figure it out, we just get overwhelmed. So we're returning to this foundation of connecting to something that's here, now, real, listening and being with the body, breathing in, breathing out, using a long breath to, to at least in a moment arrive and relax, a short breath to at least be with something simple. I might not be able to figure out what to do about global warming and about the the economic crisis and the incredible polarization of politics and that nobody talks to each other anymore and that all these spiritual people holding on to dogmatic views and killing each other in the name of the ultimate and then we can't figure it out. But can I be with an in-breath and be with that? Know that tingling. Oh, but that's useless. So you got to saw. Be with an in-breath. Be with an out-breath. Steady the attention. Be aware of something that is actually happening now. Let my stance, even though it might seem insignificant, be based on the awareness of actually how something's unfolding. A swelling, a contracting. And because of the peaceful resonance of the breath, letting it soothe the nervous system, steadying and then being caught with all these different currents, but just for a while, letting that be. We'll get back to you. Letting that be, but for now, steadying, gathering, grounding, touching the ground, the earth, something, finding stability in something that's actually happening now. Expanding the attention to, to share the blessing of that short breath with, with the whole body, calming the body. This style of meditation is what the Buddha called samatha or calming. He, he taught it as a healing. He taught it, he said, the first blessing is that it, it gives us a pleasing abiding, a pleasant abiding here and now. And it's green. It doesn't chew up the earth's resources. 
It's learning not having to do it by getting stuff or getting rid of stuff. It's learning to patiently, for the rest of our life, we learn in moments how to enjoy standing, sitting, breathing, moving. That simplicity, that fullness and subtle enjoyment of that simplicity that through if month after month, year after year, for the rest of our life, if we practice just a little bit learning how to be filled with that simplicity. Then we're accessing a a uneasefulness that's not dependent on other things. It's one that's it's a huge gift. Part of, part of uh, in terms of our crisis is needing to consume more and more and more, churning up through so much of the earth's resources. The beauty of this uh, practice is in little by little ways we, we learn to appreciate. And also appreciate Mother Nature, appreciate breath. Appreciate space. First blessing of samadhi, of gathering, of calming. Second is we become more alert to our life. That's a blessing present for our life. Third, knowledge and vision can can begin to happen. The more we're steadied on something, when we're composed... If our mind is just all over the place, we might have knowledge, but it's based on what we've just, someone's told us, what we've learned, it's some opinion. But when we're steady, if I pick up this glass, I steady the attention there, then that immediate weight, texture, color, there's that revelation it's emerging out of present contact. As we get more skillful at composing ourselves, then there's a subtle knowingness deepens. For great masters of, of steadying and composing the mind, then, then uh, very in, uh, intuitive knowledges arise. But the most powerful blessing of this samatha practice, this calming practice, is liberation. We've been in these first few days mainly focusing on just steadying the heart. But we don't want to stop there. I I wanted, when I first started meditation, when I just got a, a taste of the peacefulness of withdrawing the mind and going to the to the breath and then feeling that smoothness of the when the nervous system was humming a bit I just so just so want delicious I somehow hoped that if I just did that enough it would just stay like that (laughs) and I created you can create a, a, a lot of suffering 
we use that little by little to refresh ourselves. But remember, that state is, is impermanent. It's conditioned. At some point, you, someone starts snoring next to us, or the clock's ticking, or you have to go pee, or your back starts hurting, or get hungry, or get tired and exhausted. The state is, is impermanent. It's still really useful. The insight the Buddha had was that calming brightened him, refreshed and healed his body, brightened the mind, and then he had the insight to use that composure then to investigate and look into the nature of things. And that looking into the nature of things, then he was liberated from wrong view, liberated from wrong understanding, liberated from birth and death. So we're talking about the the, the dance, there's two wings of meditation or two dimensions of meditation that have different names. You hear calming or samatha and vipassana or insight. It makes it sound like they're big opposing things. Which do you do? But they're, they're more like wings or two oxen that work in tandem to draw the plow. They're both expressions, manifestations of awareness. Our teacher Ajahn Chah taught that it's like a knife. The back of the blade is thicker. It gives it strength. Then it can be sharpened to that which cuts through. But it's one, one implement. So as we, we calm, as we've been checking in, you know, different people, we have different experiences that come up. Things come up to, to challenge us. Heaviness, dullness, restlessness, feeling like we could scream because we just... First few years in Thailand when I tried to do walking meditation back and forth, I felt like I would scream just back and forth. And yes, for a while we can let go and, and, and come back to the breath, but then sometimes we just turn the mind right to the condition itself. So in the insight meditation, we're, we're not just uh, limited to being with the breath. We're then free to open the heart to inquire into whatever condition's coming up. And there's a whole assortment of things that can come up that then we then can welcome into our meditation to contemplate. There's classical, classical lists so what we can touch on that, that, that are just basic frameworks, but really there's innumerable states that can come. There's the desiring states. That fever that just wants to, when we're here, we, we want to be up on the hills where the wind is blowing and there's space. And 
can rope on the hills and we think, gosh, I'm missing out. They're probably giving the secret teaching. <laughs> the, the wanting. We could just dismiss it, come back, come back and fight with it. But sometimes if we notice ourselves wanting or longing or lusting, or one can actually notice that. And then the, the power of our working with the walking and the sitting and the breathing, the power of that, it's the same principle. We're directing the attention. It's good if we can stay as embodied as we can because that desire will have a coloration. It will have an impact on the body, a burning. But we can hear it, feel it, and explore, rather than get so lost in it, explore how it wells up. And if we can, can we, and Tanisra was pointing out, what's really important in our insight meditation is to notice the nature of it. One thing's useful even just to name it, uh, it is desire. Not naming it to make it go away. Desire, desire, desire. I mean, that can help us. But to... Name it enough to help us then be receptive and listen. Listen to it, convincing us. It's very seductive. It's me. And desire always points us somewhere where it says we should go to that. Desire never really points to itself to inquire into it. And it's mere image, aversion. It's also scorching the world, the, the desire, the fighting over things and resources and lovers and uh, wealth. Then we get jealous and then aversion happens, wanting to crush and, and resent and hurt. When that aversion comes up in, in, our, in our meditation, we can also uh, let that be the object of meditation. I can't stand another minute. Just listen to that voice. If we can start to actually even see that it's changing, that seems, it seems that's, that's huge. might not sound like much. So I like to say if we had passed out multiple choice questions and we asked everyone, is, uh, do things change? Yes. Is, is, is the day impermanent? Yes. <laughs> is, um, do flowers fade? Yes. So we, we all could answer, but it's, it's another thing to, in here and now, moment to moment, perceive something that seems real. Like, for example, Kitty Sorrow's Dharma talk. You know, it's a great talk, or it's a... You know, he's looking pretty tired. I think he's at the edge. (laughs) How much longer is he going to go on? (laughs) But to get right up close to something that seems solid and real 
and notice as we contemplate it. Notice that actual the Dharma talk is full of holes. The phrases, words, syllables are there. And then they dissolve. They're empty. All conditions, the Buddha taught that all the conditions of our life Me, you, here, there, the mountains, the stars, the atoms, rivers, streams, fires. They're all like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows, like dewdrops in a lightning flash. Contemplate them thus, he said, a famous famous teaching from what's called the Diamond Sutra, Vajra Sutra. Dreams, illusions, bubbles, like a bubble. The Buddha often used bubble. Bubble appears and it's so beautiful. Wow, look at the colors. It, it, it is, there it is, pop. It was there and then it's, it's gone. So then someone else says, see, it doesn't exist. And then it appears again. It does exist. Pop. It doesn't. Then you can sit there and fight about whether it does or doesn't. Does, doesn't, does, doesn't, does, doesn't, is, isn't, good, bad. When we get up close, this is where the little bit of presence that we've been cultivating in our sitting, standing, walking, being with the breathing, then we take that presence and actually come close like to something, a desire, an aversion, a doubt, a dharma talk. And we notice that it, it, it is, and then, it isn't. In, in a discourse called the Lotus Sutra, the, the Buddha said, this dharma cannot be described This mysterious true nature cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. No, 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 can you say, is, isn't, is, isn't. When we get close and notice these things that seem so real, these, this, this, Whining mind, oh, I can't take another minute, kiddies, or I'm dying in here. It seems so real. We can hang in there, and then it, it wells up and pop. Is, isn't. It's mysterious. Yes, we try to use words to point, but this, this nature... cannot be captured... When we get mesmerized by the opinions and thoughts and moods that go through us, then then we we get hijacked. And it's telling us, no, the good stuff's not here, it's over there. Or aversion. Or dullness. 
or agitation or worry or our doubts that keep tangling us up, can't figure this out, can't figure that out. Just the beginning of noticing all these forms that seem so real and seem so much like me if we can just begin in our insight practice to notice them shifting, changing. The Buddha said it, that is hugely meritorious. It has incredible blessing in it. Why? Because when we imagine that the only real stuff is, is our views and our opinions and what we can own and, and succeed at, then we, we grasp at that. We lean on that. We build our house on that, our, our health. And, and then when it goes, we, we feel lost. We grasp at our success and then it turns to failure and we suffer. We grasp at a pleasant feeling and it shifts to pain. That's what fuels samsara, this endless looking for, as our teacher would say, certainty where there's no certainty. We imagine these things are so real, so solid. It's what drives us to get more and more and more. It's chewing up everything, burning up everything. When there's more and more moments of recognizing how things fade, how like bubbles they pop, then a dispassion begins to happen. A weariness, but a skillful weariness. We we, we realize that it's... We've been looking in the wrong place. There's a returning, returning to the core, what the Buddha called the great reversal. And when we then listen and contemplate, we start to notice that all these conditions are coming and going, but then we start to notice the ground, the context. They're coming and going back into this ground of awareness. Panyuttara sabedama, vimutti sara sabedama, amatogada sabedama, nibbana pariosana sabedama. Wisdom will overcome all conditions. As we're cultivating this listening, and don't just believe the opinions. 
this is good, this is bad, it is, it isn't, it's me, it's mine. When we then start to see this change in nature, that there's nothing we can really keep, that to call it mine is a way of talking, just leads to suffering and stress. With wisdom, we, we then realize we've been grasping at air. We've been, as our teacher would say, boxing a tree, getting hurt. There's then the willingness to let go what doesn't belong to us, to then give it back to Mother Nature. That's why the bow is so important as a gesture, a gesture of returning, not rejecting, not throwing away, but relinquishing and returning and touching the earth, touching the ground. You noticed all the trees, no, I like the pine tree, no, 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 too much of a fire risk. I like the oak tree, I like the big trees, I like the little trees, but all those so-called trees merge in the ground. Wisdom overcomes all conditions. The essence of all conditions is liberation. All things merge in the deathless. All things come together, the Buddha said, amatogada, in that which never dies. When we're only focused on the surface, the pine tree, the oak tree, the Eucalyptus tree. No, 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 too much of a fire risk. Oh, but they're beautiful. But notice, where do all these trees merge? They all come from Mother Earth. We go down into the roots and then you can't tell them apart. The core, the source. All the branches and leaves and the trees return. All our bodies return to this ground. when we're focused so much on the surface of conditions, what I like, what I don't like, grasping at it, then it keeps eluding us. When we listen more closely and start to notice the arising and most importantly, the cessation, the ending, the ending of every sound, We bowed to Kuan Yin in the morning and we chanted to her this evening. Her meditation is listening to the sounds of the world. Especially notice that every sound keeps dissolving back into that spacious, luminous, awake silence. All the sounds merge in the silence. All our thoughts telling us I like, I don't like. In our meditation, when we're listening to the sounds of the world, we steady ourselves on the breathing, on the breath, on the walking, and then from time to time, just open turn to these different sounds that are telling us I'm happy, I can't stand it, I'm doing great, I'm doing terrible. 
Listen to the sounds and how each one dissolves, arises and dissolves back into this unmoving ground, ground of being. Wisdom overcomes all conditions. Yielding deliverance as essence are all, uh, are all conditions. Every circumstance, even when we feel everything is gone wrong, the essence of that moment is freedom. So right now, no matter what is, is happening, the, the wise ones have said, actually, peace is always here and now. But we don't, we're so busy grasping and rejecting, we don't notice that every form, every sound appears and gets emptied, shifts and changes back into this ground of awareness, of listening, of silence. So these, these uh, next few days, I'm going to in- encourage us to continue our practice, staying with and using our walking and sitting and breathing to compose ourselves, but then being also interested to open it and welcome in the desires, the aversions, the heavinesses, the restlessnesses, and the doubts. And all these inner voices and inner feelings, if we can... Listen to how they change, how they're like bubbles. And, and get a feeling how, how another image is that they're like the waves shifting. But if we notice where do the waves merge in the depth, or as the trees, the surface merge in the depth, and all these thoughts that we get caught in when we listen more deeply all this experience is arising and dissolving back into what's never moved. So I encourage us to be patient, kind, not undervalue, even if we feel it's been a write-off. And we feel like, oh, the world's on fire. I'm just adding to it. I'm burning up here. This is the great fire stopper, the great flood stopper, the great disaster stopper. We're at least feeling the fires, feeling the floods of getting swept by all these moods, getting them in perspective, learning as we listen to them well up and dissolve, learning to touch into that place which is okay, which is cool, which is this peaceful, spacious, deathless core. And this is, our, this is, is one gift we can make. 
as we learn to appreciate this blessed earth and this wonderful nature and not need so much, learn to access a joy that's more simple. Trust that this is, this is also another offering we can make that is uh, important. Letting the Buddha have the last word. Not only are there fires, but there are floods too that sweep us away. The Buddha's answer to a, a young student that was worried about the floods. Uh, this is a source of inspiration for... Uh, for me, for many people. The young student's named Kappa. He said to the Buddha, Sir, there are people stuck midstream in the terror and the fear of this rush of the, of the river of becoming, always having to get somewhere. Death and decay overwhelm them for their sakes. Tell me, where is their solid ground? Where is there an island beyond the reach of all this pain? Kappa, which is the young student's name, said the master, for the sake of those people stuck in the middle of the river of becoming, overwhelmed by death and decay, I'll tell you where to find solid ground. Something truly trustworthy. There is an island an island which you cannot go beyond. It is, it is a place of no thingness, a place of non-possession, of non-attachment, of letting go. It is the total end of death and decay, and this is why I call it Nibbana. There are people who in mindfulness have realized this, and they are completely cooled and at peace, here and now. They do not become slaves working for Mara, working for death. They cannot fall into his power.
May the blessing of our work today be shared with all beings. As we notice that place where all things come together in the silence, that's where we sense our kinship with Mother Earth, the mountains, the rivers, the animals. All things merge in this source. So may all beings share in the goodness of our work. Have a peaceful night. If you have the energy, you're welcome to to walk some. But if you need to rest, then be compassionate and enjoy resting mindfully. Just appreciate when you lie down being supported and welcome those sensations. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.